Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. This is a weekly discussion about the Camino de Santiago, or the Way of St. James. The Camino is a pilgrimage, a journey of the spirit. Most pilgrims walk to the Spanish city of Santiago de Compostela, where we're told the remains of Christ's apostle St. James lie in a crypt beneath the cathedral in his name, St. James under a field of stars. Walking a Camino is an opportunity for renewal. Pilgrims have walked the varied paths of the Camino for centuries. Some walk for redemption, some for adventure. Indeed, when you arrive in the pilgrim's office in Santiago, you can collect a certificate, a compostella to take home with you. The certificate has been issued since the 9th century, and you are asked if you walked for spiritual or adventure. Both are legitimate, and both are significant. And if you're thinking of walking, you can expect to laugh, to cry, to experience great hardship and great joy. You'll meet people from all over the world, people who will tell you their deepest secrets, having only met them a few minutes before. Sitting in a roadside cafe, sharing stories, sharing intentions, praying, hoping, sharing and caring. I love the old saying, wearing your heart on your sleeve, the suggestion that someone is leaving themselves open for others and to others. Well, you'll certainly be wearing your heart on your sleeve on El Camino de Santiago, and you'll love every step. I saw a wonderful quote this week. I quickly wrote it down for this week's podcast, and I thought of the pilgrim community, Harold S. Kushner. Do things for people, not because of who they are or what they do in return, but because of who you are. Who you are. A pilgrim. My guest this week has written a book about her journey. Cafe Retta is on the line from the United States. Welcome, pilgrim. Thank you so much, Dan. I'm happy to be here. Before we get to the book, Keep Walking, Your Heart Will Catch Up. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your history, if you if you wouldn't mind. Okay, um, my history. Well, I... You know, I kind of see my life in three phases. I was single for about 30 years. I married at age 29, and so I had that lovely single life. And then I was married for 33 years. That's phase two. And my husband was a a pastor, a minister, and I worked with him, and um, mostly in the Los Angeles area. And then he passed away. He had strokes and a heart attack, and so... At the time when I was kind of led to go to the Camino, I was looking for what I would do with my phase three, my next 30 years of life. And so I kind of see how it broke into those three phases. Um, And so it was a wonderful experience that I came in into that as a widow. And uh, I when I first thought about going on the Camino, I didn't see it as for that reason. I just thought that's a great adventure. I would like to do it. But I didn't realize how much within me needed that Camino and what it was going to do for my life. That's really interesting that you mentioned that. Um, I want to get to the three stages of your life in a moment, um, because it mm-hmm. in some ways reflects the three stages of the Camino as well, which is really interesting. But I mentioned, yeah, I mentioned earlier that pilgrims have walked the Camino for centuries. How did you hear about it? Do you remember? 
You know, when my in the last months of my husband's life, a friend came by, and he and another friend were going to be walking the Camino, and they told us about it, and I was really intrigued. I thought it sounded really interesting, and I'd love to be able to do that, but knew it was impossible. That was so far out of what I um, thought I could ever do, and they were actually there on the Camino during the time when David, my husband, passed away, and I had a service and everything, and so I heard about it after they came back, and it really caught my attention, but I still didn't see it as something for me to do. Why didn't you, th- you think it was something that you could do? Because uh, I'd lived a very sedentary life. <laughs> I didn't see myself in any physical shape to be able to do that, oh. um, but it um, I don't know. It just, it just seems so uh, far-reaching to walk almost 500 miles yeah, right. across Spain. Uh, I had been in Spain before. My husband and I had visited there in 1997, and we just loved it, really loved the country. And we talked about we'd love to go back and live there, but it um, never went any further than that. Yeah. I interrupted so you. you mm-hmm. I, I interrupted you. You said um, that it took about a year after David passed away mm-hmm. for you to actually get there or start the process, perhaps? Okay. Uh, you know, actually on my 64th birthday, I was thinking I should do something big for when I turned 65. And that thought came back to me, well, walk the Camino, celebrate 65 years on the Camino. And so I started kind of working towards that, and it was mostly, um, almost seemed like a joke when I would tell people, I mean, it's a joke to me, that, hey, I'm going to go over and walk the Camino in Spain. And, uh, but, and I started walking uh, some hiking trails around where I was living and started more and more getting serious about it and thinking, hey, maybe I can do this. So, um, But even up till probably two, three months before I left, I was still saying, I think I'm going to do it. I hadn't committed mm-hmm. until a couple months beforehand. And then by that time, something had happened where I just knew I had to. It became more of a, a call. You know, it was pulling to me to do it. And uh, so I did. And but and along the way, as I was preparing, I started to remember I used to like hiking. Uh, way back in my phase one and my single years, my friends and I would go hiking around Arizona, where I lived, and uh, really enjoyed it. But that had fallen away from my life, and I hadn't done anything physical like that in quite a while. How was the transformation then? Was it easy to just walk out the door and begin walking? Was it difficult? Did you struggle with injuries and stuff? You know, I struggled with injury before I ever left. So as I was preparing, I my heels were hurting a lot. And I kept thinking, well, that's because they need to get used to it. And so I just kept pushing harder and harder. Later, I came to realize I had um, probably um, hurt my Achilles tendons. And maybe it's Achilles bursitis, but I didn't realize that. I kept thinking it would get better if I kept pushing them. So by the time when I was ready to go, friends were telling me, you shouldn't go. Wait, go next year. Let You've got to rest your feet. You've got to let your um, heels get healed up. Um, but something inside just told me I couldn't wait. I knew I had to go, and I would take care of them the best I can. I would try to not push it, but I knew it was important for me to go. 
So, um, yeah, physically it was difficult. So I flew to Paris and I hung out there for three days and uh, my heels were in pain. And really every day I was on the Camino, my feet hurt, my heels would hurt. And I walked less miles per day than what most pilgrims do. Um, so I think, yeah, I didn't want to really hurt myself so bad where I'd have to end the journey and go home and get surgery on my feet. Mm. Um, but it, it was a physical struggle. Um, yes, and of course. it's certainly an emotional struggle. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. And we'll we'll get to that in a moment. But they say there are three stages to the Camino. We talked about it. The first is the physical stage. You deal with the blisters and the backache and the bad knees mm-hmm. and the sore feet. The second mm-hmm. is the mental. That is out on the meseta. It's easy not to lose your mind. Actually, come to think of it, you're most probably lucky if you do lose your mind. And the third, <laughs> the third is renewal. You reach Galicia and you're feeling refreshed and spiritually enlightened. You say, as you did at the beginning of the interview, that you've had three distinct stages of your life. I don't like to think of your pre-marriage yeah. or your marriage where you lost your mind or anything like that, but, <laughs> but, but you were a wife for 30 years and then a widow. Yes. What's it like? Yeah. What's it like to no longer be a wife? Well, you know, I um, felt okay with it. Like it was three years from the time my husband passed until I went to the Camino, and I felt like I was doing well. Um, I was pretty independent, and he had been sick for a long time, so his passing was not sudden. And I felt really strong and like, hey, it's okay. I felt all right being alone, and had um, was set on my new life. Mm. And I didn't know how much grief or mourning was in me that needed to come out. It's like I just wasn't even aware of it until I was there on the Camino. Then suddenly I found myself crying all over the place. (laughs) As you said in the introduction, um, you do a lot of crying. So, you know, I felt very good and comfortable. But so I would say this third phase of life is like a reset. I feel like it broke up. Things inside that were hidden away or things that, um, you know, I let get covered over and let go of myself and it was refinding myself. And actually, when I, at one point when I realized, oh, this is a pilgrimage about becoming a widow, um, I realized that when I lost my husband, I also lost half of myself. Mm. And I hadn't realized it till that point. Yeah. And so it really was a recovering and resetting of my life. What do you, do you remember now, if you cast your mind back to before you went, what did you hope to find on the Camino? Do you remember? Yeah, I thought it was going to be just a, a fun journey and walking. And I looked forward to the idea of, okay, I'm going to plan out my next 30 years very much think of it, thinking of it as a mental exercise. And I would tell people, oh, it'll be great because what do you got to do every day? You get up, you're going to walk. Yeah. You don't have to make decisions. You don't have to be involved in anything else in life. Yeah. So this is a great time to decide. But I, you know, I, I was looking at it really as a mental planning thing. Um, and it wasn't that at all. <laughs> the, the, Yeah. You you say in the book you were looking for an inner healing, a rite of passage to that next phase of your life. Mm -hmm. Was it frightening to think, Uh, I'm going on this journey, I I don't know what to expect? Were you frightened? I was. I was. I'll bet. 
there were times I was really um, questioning, like, oh, now why am I doing this? What am I doing this for? Um, like, it just seemed crazy. And to be going alone, um, yeah, it was scary. But I, I just knew it's something I had to do. And I didn't understand why or the reasons why. And uh, so I just did it. And that's, I think I have a kind of a determination there or something. If I know I should do something, I can push my way through and do it just because I need to do it. And I'll find out later. I think that's somewhat where the title came is keep walking. Your heart will catch up. Um, So just keep going and it'll all come together and it'll make itself known along the way. What about the walking alone aspect? Because, Cathay, you said um, that you walked slower or, or shorter days than most pilgrims. So mm-hmm. in in most of my uh, guests' cases, they met people. They had a sort of what they call a Camino family, and, and they would often walk together for days at a time with people. But if you're walking much shorter legs, then you wouldn't necessarily be sort of with other people all the time. How is it walking alone? That's right. Um, you know, I, I was lonely, and it, I would be sad, um, mm. and I would be jealous because I heard about, you know, the groups, how you meet these families on the Camino, and mm. you develop these relationships. And yeah. I was looking forward to that, but that wasn't happening for me, um, with the exception of one. One person I started out on the first day with, um, her name's Amy. She was a young woman from South Korea. And uh, we ended up at the same hostel, and she had hurt her foot. And so um, we both took the bus the first day from St. John Port over to Roncesvalles. And um, and so we kind of formed a connection then and stayed the first night in Roncesvalles. And then we got separated because she walked faster than me, and I do walk very slow. And so, again, so I didn't really really have much connection with other people, nothing long-term. Mm. Um, looking back, where you know, I was feeling kind of disappointed and jealous about that, um, not having it. But I realized that was probably part of what I needed to really break me down. I would think, I think of the Camino as like she breaks you down to open you up to what you need to see, what you really need to deal with. You see the Camino... Yeah, provides or gives you what you need. And looking back, I think I needed that time alone. I could have become really distracted and just going on with other people and having that experience more on a superficial level. That's not a good word for it. It's not superficial, but it wouldn't have gotten me to the what I needed to see and mm. where I need, needed to go. Yeah. So it was difficult, but I I so appreciate the experience. You know, and at first <laughs> I was um, texting a friend each day um, so they would know I was okay, so my friends wouldn't worry about me. And But I would, you know, be complaining about all this stuff going on and how I felt. And it's funny, um, a few weeks into it, well, I learned later that as she was sharing it with some others back at home, they were like, oh, my gosh, we've got to go to Spain and get her. We have to go bring her <laughs> home. This is terrible. <laughs> I didn't make, mean to make it sound so terrible, but it felt difficult, but it was a very healing and a very cleansing sort of experience for me. So I don't regret one bit of it. Now being on the other side and understanding what it was. You know, um, I do this podcast because I love the Camino and I love the Camino community and I feel a very great connection and it's something I hold very dear to my heart, actually. 
But mm-hmm. I mentioned in the introduction the varied emotions, and you just spoke about it then, the joy, the tears, the anger, the trepidation, as you said in your book. So considering all of that, Cathay, why does it hold such appeal to us, do you think? I think maybe it's a truth that calls to us. Mm. It's getting down to a truth, and maybe we wouldn't get to it any other way. I mean, I think that's my experience. Um, I think that's the appeal. And if we go, you know, we're looking, well, even when we're not looking for something, I've heard far too many stories of people who found what they needed in some deep level of truth that they didn't necessarily go looking for. I like to, um, I wrote in my book one, um, if I may, just read a couple paragraphs. Of course you can. I'd love you to. I think kind of expresses it. Um, This was far into it after... um, I was really considering what was going on with me and crying so much. I wrote, this Camino brings together a physical struggle to match the inner breaking of the heart and of the soul. I think that it gives depth and tangibility to what's felt inside. The physical challenge is drawing emotional pain to my conscious mind to become aware of it, to see it, and name it, to absolve it. And there it is, absolution. Too often we try to just handle everything in the mind, detached, untouched, uninvolved. But the power of transformation comes when the flow of life and pain seep through the cracks, when the physical touches the soul. Those emotions express in the physical and present themselves to the mind. And the mind is the observer taking it all in and beginning to understand. Ah, I think that's the Camino. Mm, That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And you've answered just in the, in the reading of that section of your book, my next question, which you posed uh, yourself because you said, why not just go to a nice hotel and think through what to do for the next 30 years? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I was tempted. I seriously gave it thought. In fact, someone told me, you should just take the bus on over to Finisterre and, and just hang out there till your flight to go home. Um, <laughs> I'm so close to doing it, but I didn't. And things just got, um, you know, it just, you know, and I'm one of those, I'm, I think it's a few, but a few people get bed bugs and I was one of them. And that was like a breaking point for me. <laughs> um but it was, uh, I don't, it was then getting to um, a hostel in Vega de Valcarce, the Albergue mm. El Paso. Mm. The host there was so, so very helpful and kind. And actually, it was my friend Amy I'd met on the first day who had emailed me to come there when I, we had contact. I told her, oh, no, I've got bed bugs. And she was there a day ahead of me. And she said, come here, he'll help you. So I did. And he was wonderful. We took all my clothes out and sprayed them and he sprayed my backpack. And, um, but more than that, just the care suddenly, um, things was so things got better. Um, it's like where I turned a point mm. and maybe that was the start of the third phase of the, yeah. the Camino. Um, I ended up staying there for three days and just putting my feet in this little stream of water. And he took care of me and cooked for me. And uh, I sat and watched a bird feed her young and young birds in a little nest there by the albergue. And 
just and playing with the dog and just doing some nice, it was kind of a healing experience after coming from all this pain. And, and, um, and that's where then I changed my outlook, became stronger and I knew I would finish it and I needed to. Um, and I, from there on, I was kind of happy the rest of the way. It, it was a real turning point, but it took those weeks coming up to that to get me where I could kind of accept that. Yeah. How wonderful. You said that someone said to you, you're here on the Camino to learn to fall in love with yourself again. Exactly. Was, was yeah. that, was that yeah. easy or hard? That was hard. Mm. That was hard. Mm. And um, that was the day when, you know, I, I was in my bunk just crying and um, because of the bed bugs and I was so frustrated and just wanted to go home. And this man, Patrick, comes in. How's your day going? And I said, I've got bed bugs. And I just started crying. And he yeah, asked dear. me so tenderly, he says, may I hold your hand? I said, yes. And then he took my hand, sat on the floor beside my bed and just told me, everyone cries on the Camino. You know, bed bugs, that's part of the experience. And he just kind of calmed me. And then we walked around town and we talked. And um, that's what he told me. He says, you're here to learn to fall in love with yourself again. And that kind of really struck a chord. And I knew that was true. And I knew, you know, I think I'd been going on in life, um, doing the things I'm supposed to do or act, acting like you're supposed to act. And I think it happens to a lot of us that we have this uh, shell around us and we do what's appropriate and what's expected. And I had done that to the point of not paying attention to what's really going on inside me and really being true to myself. And I think that's what the Camino broke open, that I found myself and did learn to love myself. I actually rather like being with myself. And I think that was part of the needing to be alone where I could come to that place. That's precisely why I asked the question earlier about how difficult it must have been to leave the wife behind and to become a widow. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and you wrote somewhere that you had so many thoughts, so many ideas, so many questions. Somehow, they're not very enjoyable to just think them. So put them on the page. <laughs> yeah, write so, it. Write, write it. A book. So tell us about the writing process. Was it part of your journey? Did you did you take notes and come home and, and write a book? Or, or tell us tell us how the book came about. Yes, um, I've liked to write all of my life. I've uh, kind of been a writer, uh, nothing really published before, uh, other than in my line of work. I worked in adult literacy uh, all throughout my life also, and I would write some things for that. But I kept a journal, and uh, so I would put my thoughts down there. And then I knew, I'm not sure, somewhere along the way I knew I would come home and write a book. Um, and it was a year or two getting it finished, and, and it was like reliving it. It was a very uh, a warming experience for me to go through my notes again and, and write it down and, and just kind of almost from an observer then standing back and looking at what I was writing, seeing what had happened and how the Camino had touched me and changed my life and set mm-hmm. me on a – and just kind of broke things open where I could enter into the next phase of life more easily. And I read somewhere else, Cathay, you said the Camino will encourage you to give voice to your unspoken dreams. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful way of putting it. 
I think, and that's what my hope is for the book, whether it's someone on the Camino or I think it maybe would speak to people who have lost someone close to them and mm. trying to find themselves living without them. Um, you know, it's a time to kind of reset and find yourself and find out what are your dreams and not be afraid of them, that to really be truly uh, free to be who you are and not try to live up to what expectations are on us. You know, um, I was just thinking there about my younger brother. He passed away in October. Uh, well, I guess it'd be 18 months ago now. And mm. just when you said that, you know, it occurred to me just how much I miss him and, and how it's a teaching in a way, a teaching of yourself how to cope with it, mm-hmm. isn't it? And And... It's, it's, yeah, I think so. I, I, th- I think so. And, and, you know, I'm just reading that line again where you wrote, it, the Camino will encourage you to give voice to your unspoken dreams. Perhaps some of those dreams aren't necessarily happy dreams, are they? Mm, I hadn't thought about that, but that's true. Mm. And there's, um, but we need to make space for it. Yeah. I think in our society we try too often to well, just push it down and ignore something if it's not pleasant, if it's not good. Um, you know, when you lose someone and people, oh, time heals all or, oh, you'll get over it or, you know, just don't dwell on it. But I'm not sure that that's good advice. I think maybe it needs to have a space to let come out and live so you can work through it yeah. and then be okay with it. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to push things down or suppress mm-hmm. anything. I think you've got to live it and breathe it. Yes, and own it because it's like you said, it's the truth. Mm-hmm. And I don't. It's kind of. Um, it's kind of a great mystery and magic how that being on the Camino seems to pull that truth out. So I mean, I read on a. Camino Forum the other day, someone talking about, oh, everyone that goes on the Camino goes back and writes a book. You know, um, we don't need to hear their stories. You know, why are all these books out there? And I thought, but, you know, the Camino does so many different stories for people. It's so unique to each one about what they're getting out of it. Yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about someone like that, to be honest. The more Camino (laughs) books, the better, if you ask me. Um, Mm -hmm. Let me ask you a very simple question. Are you good at walking? Um, good at walking? Uh, yeah. You know, I I enjoy it, but I find – so it, let me back up. So after I got home from the Camino, my heels still hurt for a year, year and a half. A year and a half? They were still hurting, but I was still trying to walk, and I would rest them some. Now, thank God, they don't anymore. Um, but now I've kind of been out of practice, and certainly with the pandemic and all that was going on, I didn't have as much opportunity. Um, nah, no, I was still going out and walking some. But right now I can do about three miles. Hmm. Um, it's kind of my limit. I'm trying to get up to four or five miles. <laughs> Whereas on the Camino, I was walking um, yeah, six to 12 miles a day, probably more six to nine. Right. And um, so, no, I don't think I'm a good walker, but I'm yeah. a willing walker. <laughs> what do you love about long distance walking? I think I love about it and being in nature. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and just to, uh, 
on that journey, I started to appreciate nature more and really look at the the trees and the flowers. And I've never really paid much attention to all of that, but I do now. And so I like just to go along and um, and just kind of take it in, try to clear the mind, kind of help it be a meditation. Yeah. I don't do that so easily. My mind now is back to running to this thought and that thought and try to work things out, but I try to quiet it more. And that's easier to do while walking through a tree, um, among the trees or some nice surroundings. And here in the, I'm in the Pacific Northwest in the United States, there's a lot of beautiful places to walk. And so that's really helpful. Yeah. Um, I loved when you wrote, I like how my body is now feeling awakened and I'm loving what I'm seeing in nature all the beautiful landscape I have ignored and passed by on my way to go sit somewhere all these years. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I've been very unobservant of everything and my body. I mean, the way to treat the body before was, hey, you, you do what I tell you to do. <laughs> but before I left uh, to go on the Camino, I had been walking. Like I said, I'd hurt my heels, but I was still walking. And so one day I named my feet. Um, my leg, one is uh, blessed and the other one is lovely. And we had a conversation. I told them I would take care of them and I would listen to them. And I've tried to continue that even now to listen to them and take them into account and their opinion on what they're telling me uh, we need to do when I'm walking and really just be more responsive to the body and listen to it. It talks to us and uh, will take care of us if we give it a chance. And that, it'll tell us what to do and t- teach us how to take care of ourselves. That's awesome. That's great. I really <laughs> like that. So, mm-hmm. so, so we talked about what you like about long distance walking. What don't you like about long distance walking? Um, sore heels. Yeah, the, the sore heels, the feet, the heat. I went in the oh, summertime, oh. and some it was really hot on some afternoons, and that's where I, um, one day, I, I suspect I was close to, um, I was so dehydrated. It was really rough, but that was it. Um, isn't that funny? I can't think of much that I don't like about it, then, except that I couldn't do it. I would, I would love to do the Camino mm. at a time when I didn't have the heel pain and could do it more comfortably and hopefully go further um, and just really enjoy it more. Mainly when I would get to the albergue at the stopping point of the day, my feet hurt so bad I didn't go wander around and uh, see the different sites I would have liked to. Um, so I missed out on that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is a shame um, because that's mm-hmm. one of the great things about those long, lazy summer Spanish afternoons. Do you have a favorite place on the Camino? Um, Albergue El Paso, the Vega uh-huh. de Valcarce, where they took such good care of me <laughs> when I was ready to quit. But instead, I had a very relaxed time there and just really um, just kind of that's probably where I really started to fall in love with myself again and to uh, enjoy my time there. How lovely. So that will always, always have a warm place in my heart. Yeah, how lovely. And I, I imagine then, because we spoke about the writing of the book being a sort of cathartic experience. Yes. W- when you came home, you'd walk the Camino. What came first, the re- renewal or the idea for the book? Were you writing about feeling renewed or did the book? 
become a cathartic experience in itself and the writing about um, what you'd been through? No, I think the I think the experience had already happened. I was already that renewed person. Yeah. Um, the book was kind of like validating it or looking at it as an observing observer looking at myself. Um, but I think it had already happened. And I know I don't even know when that change took place. But after the Camino, and I was looking out back home and looking at some pictures. When I realized a couple of them, I was my head was thrown back in laughter. And it occurred to, I don't think I'd ever seen myself like that. Wow. That's great. And I just yeah, I thought, oh, something broke loose that I could laugh so easily. And it's funny because even still I, I don't laugh real easily most of the time, but certainly a lot more than I used to. But I saw that in the pictures, then that made me aware of something that had changed within, something broke loose. You know, and something that helped answer that, a few months back, I was listening to a podcast by Brene Brown. Uh, She does research about being vulnerable Mm. and the power of that. And she made some statement about it's when we suppress and deny our emotions, our negative emotions, and suppress them, don't express it, Mm. that also that suppresses our joyful emotions as well. You can't choose which emotions you're going to suppress. And so it occurs to me, I think what happened was when I let go the, the, the pain and the negative emotion, then that also allowed the joy to come back through too. Wow, what a great answer. That's fantastic. In the course of writing, actually, perfectly leads me into my next question because um, I was reading your blog, and I'll give my listeners the address to find to find your blog uh, at the end of the interview. You talked about decluttering the soul. Yes. <laughs> Tell us about decluttering the soul. Yeah, I think that's uh, exactly what we're talking about. Where yeah. there's so many experiences or emotions or feelings that are hanging around inside of us, and we've suppressed them. We've pushed them down, set them aside because maybe it's not um, socially correct to look at it or talk about it, or we try to rise above it, or just deal with everything with our mental, with our minds instead of the hearts, and so that all builds up. So it probably looks like a a house that's um, been hoarding a lot of stuff and things that don't serve us and that hurt us and are pulling us down. And we don't even realize it because we don't see it anymore. And so that decluttering of the mind, it's the same thing like someone would declutter a house. One piece at a time, you start taking a look at it, deciding whether it serves you if you need to keep it or to throw it out and get rid of it. But to hide it like it doesn't exist well, it's still there and it's still pulling down. Yeah, and you say make room for today, make room mm-hmm. for life and for love. Yeah, absolutely. How wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah, you write beautifully and it's, it's a lovely um, calming uh, prose that you use. I really loved the piece that you wrote on the website about trust. Oh, yeah, that just came out. Yeah, well, you know, thank you that um, – Yeah, and those are things I've been writing for a long time. For me, my mind becomes clear or I become more aware of what's going on myself through writing. 
I write much better than I speak. And so always I'll pick up a pen and just start writing and um, like these messages come out. And I think from God, you know, we just have that communication. But to me, it comes through writing that it becomes very real to me. And so it does kind of seem to flow for me. Yeah. Have you been surprised, Cafe, by this journey that you've found yourself on now? Interesting. I think surprised, really, for the most part. But at the same time, it seems like it's something I've known it's within me all along. Like I'm, what I'm experiencing now with the, the writing and with um, a good place I'm at in my life. I mean, let me back. I mean, life, my life was always good. It's not like I was suffering or having a hard time. But I'm at a just being able to express myself and write a book and write blogs and share these things with people. Mm. I knew that was always in me, but I didn't really go at it as strongly or believe it as as much as I do now, now and as now that I'm living it. Yeah. So maybe not so surprised, but it was kind of a, a validation or just bringing a greater awareness and focus to it. Yeah, great answer. Wow. So when I when I said, uh, were you surprised you find yourself on that journey? I, I guess the word is delighted. You must be absolutely delighted. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was so good. It was really good, despite all of my complaining, <laughs> <laughs> my tears. And, um, you know, the, I guess you hear me talk about it, it sounds like it was really tough, but it wasn't. Overall, it was very inspiring. And a very inspiring moment when on my 65th birthday, I was sitting there having lunch at a albergue in a, in a restaurant and I realized a year ago, I set in my heart to do this, didn't know if I would actually make it or not. And uh, here I am, you know, to set yeah. that goal and to reach it. I think that's another thing of the clutter question is sometimes we set goals. Like had I, when I was 64 years old, set the goal to do the Camino, had I not gone, then that idea would just be clutter still running around in my mind, pulling me down because I didn't do something that I wanted to do or that I knew I should do. And so I was able to really achieve what I set out to do was a great feeling. And yeah, very exciting. What do you think David would make of all of this? Uh, He would be happy. He would have been proud. He would, yeah. Yeah. No doubt. He, uh, he would have been there cheering me on. Of course, he'd rather he, he would have been there walking with me had he been able to. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he was happy for it. Oh, how lovely. Hey, um, tell us a Camino story. A uh, Camino story. I think what I like about the relationships that um, I mentioned, I met Amy my first day. Yeah. We left Juan's Valles together, and then she walked faster than me. So off she went, and I didn't know that. I didn't figure I'd ever see her again, but it was a couple weeks later. Um, I was in Rabanal and eating lunch, and she walked in the door, and just absolute joy and surprise. And we both screamed and mm-hmm. hugged and started catching up. And uh-huh. you know, because of my heel problem and walking so slow, I realized I wasn't going to be able to walk the full Camino in time to get my air 
plane flight home. So I had taken the bus over some sections. And it worked out just right, so we met up again. And uh, somehow that meant a lot. And then we walked the next day when we went to Cruz de Ferro. And that's right. I made a final goodbye to David. And it was somehow real special that Amy was with me. I wasn't alone that day. And then we went walking. And then we separated again as she went on her way. And uh, then I mentioned again, we hooked up again in Vega de Valcarce. And uh, just at key points where I really needed someone on that Camino, Amy would pop up. (laughs) (laughs) And so there she was. And then it turned out she, of course, got to Santiago before I did, but she went on to Finisterre, then came back. And we were at the bus station at the same time that last day. Um, And our buses, we were both leaving out of Portugal. Um, but her bus left a half hour before mine. And so we had a nice goodbye there, a half hour at the bus station. So it's that kind of thing. Like, who could plan that out? Yeah. And uh, it was at each of the key points when I think I was really feeling low and needed someone. Um, you know, Amy popped in. <laughs> yeah, that's lovely, isn't it? That you're, you're mm-hmm. almost you're like your Camino angel in many yes. respects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, no, yeah. I... I I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you, Cathay. Congratulations on the book. Congratulations on having the courage to step out onto this new journey. And congratulations for finding this new you, this pilgrim life. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for giving me this opportunity. I really have enjoyed talking with you. Thanks so much. Buen Camino. Buen Camino, Dan. My guest this week, the American writer Cathay Ritter. You can find her book, Keep walking, your heart will catch up pretty much everywhere. Just Google it and you'll find it. And the blog and all the information is via Cathay, C-A-T-H-A-Y-R-E-T-A, CathayRetta.com. Harold S. Kushner said, Do things for people not because of who they are or what they do in return, but because of who you are. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. Thanks for sharing. And thanks for being who you are. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way.